Hi, my name is Austin Parenti. And I'm Aramis. And we are back. We have returned with Force. The Force is a pathway to many abilities. That's not even the quote, it's the dark side. All right, I'll try this one more time. <laughs> okay, Maybe right. I should do the intro. No, no, I got this. <laughs> Hi, my name's Austin Parenti. And my name's Aramis. And because Aaron would like us to, we're going to get started right away and not say anything boring or controversial like <laughs> The Rise of Skywalker sucked. So, um, let's jump into Epictetus. We have a it's, wonderful uh, Epictetus. <laughs> you, do, are we in ancient Greece? <laughs> Classical Greece? No, but we are respectful. Okay, yeah. Do we... So, we, t- we ended last episode talking about the psyche. Hi, welcome to the Academy Podcast. My name is Aaron Mejiz. <laughs> and my name is Austin Brent. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you wanted to do the intro because I was doing so well. We are are back with our final episode on Epictetus. Yes, it is a much shorter series than either Plato and what we had originally planned, but we're just going to keep moving through it and move on to the next one. Yeah, we are in the business of letting people down. So here we are. (laughs) Yeah, if you wanted more... Then three episodes. I guess find a new podcast. Yeah. Find someone else to be your third favorite podcast. So let's talk about Epictetus. He is. Yes. Thank you. Uh, We talked last episode about Providence and, you know, how that fit into their um, metaphysic. And then we talked about their psyche, the stoic um, idea of, you know, the soul and how they kind of process information and exactly what Epictetus is saying when he's telling people to tame their wills and to realize what's under their control or not. So I thought we could start by tackling that third Stoic pillar, ethics. Okay. Ethics is, as we many of us know, the study of right and wrong, the practical application of the philosophy we're working in, right? Right. What does this mean for how we decide right from wrong in our lives and society? Um, so you've done a, a monumental amount of research on this. Do you have any uh, introductory remarks uh, on on their view of ethics, or or what what kind of things should we keep in mind as we consider these uh, these things? I think there's a debate as to what is the the source of the ethical framework um, when it comes to stoicism. Actually, our my girl Julia Annis um, oh, writes yes. quite a bit on the topic of of uh, the idea that how stoicism is divided into those three parts, logic, physics, and ethics. And, and then this debate as to whether these three parts can be treated separately and, or are they, are they of one cohesive set? Mm -hmm. Um, And then more importantly is that when we arrive at ethical conclusions regarding stoicism, do we find that it is, is, do we look at it as there's the physics, which then leads to the logic, which then leads to the ethics or are we simply to say that the logic leads to the ethics or the physics leads to the ethics and then you have logic? So it's, there's, a, there's, a bit of a, there's a bit of a back and forth among scholars actually in more recent years as to, as to how we can look at the constitutional parts of the whole. Um, and so I think that's something to keep in mind. And I think to kind of simplify the issue for us, 
would be to once again look at Stoicism as a religion um, and not so much as a as a um, as a school of thought in philosophy specifically. Although, like I said, there are definitely philosophical elements and there is a philosophy of Stoicism. However, mm-hmm. I believe the basis of Stoicism is to treat it more like a, a faith um, as a religion um, in, rather than a a, uh, a set of principles that have been developed through uh, through deductive reasoning, as it were. Right. Well, so when when you know, I feel like a lot. I mean, there's so much more to ethics than this, but a lot of our ethical dilemmas come down to like the value of human life. Um, you know, a lot of the big questions that we like to consider have to do with you know death, murder, you know, justifiable killing and stuff. And so, as I'm reading him he has a lot of moments where it's like, um, you know, okay, so the emperor tells you, I'm going to cut off your head. Well, did I say that my neck was immortal? Go for it. And, um, you know, so he, he's not in that particular instance, quite answering an ethical question so much as he's saying, this is how your countenance should be, you know, your control of the will as it relates to these issues. But it does leave you with this lingering taste in your mouth. Like what, what is their conception of, when do you is there a time to fight ethically for what is what is right and and you know that's not justifiable that the emperor is going to cut off my head you know is there a time <laughs> it's uh so there's an unsatisfactory answer unfortunately in that i just respond it's out of your control so it's like you just can't like what do you mean fight for like hmm. like you can't fight for anything cuz it's outside of your control i mean yeah you could technically like and he does there are points in the discourses where he drops in, where he says, you know, to care for your fellow man, to worry about your country. However, well, not worry, but to, to do your part. Um, however, it is, the Stoic would see their responsibility, the true Stoic, would see their responsibility more in the ability and the opportunity to educate and correct others, rather than in anything that we would think of like courts of law or in politics. Or, okay. Because they would shun offices, really. Um, I mean, of course, if it was thrusted upon them at fate, like if we're looking at Marcus Aurelius, he's like, well, I didn't choose to be emperor. This was, I was mm-hmm. put in this position. I accept my fate. But, you know, the, the, the Stoic would instead be more concerned with how am I correcting people's behaviors? How am I making people understand true philosophy to see impressions as just that, impressions, to understand that good and evil, like they do make an ethical statement that good and evil are not things that are present in the world, the material world outside of us, they're only present within the will. Um, they're only present within, to bring up that, that term from the last episode, the hegemonica. Yep, the hegemonica. <laughs> um, and so it, it, it really good and evil has everything to do, or virtue and vice would probably be a more accurate way in which to talk about it. That virtue and vice is only determined by the actions that you take. In, within your will. So the then it really is just, to assent to. Wow. Okay. So, so it, it's that internal for them. Ethics is not this broad sweeping political kind nope. of conversation. It's just Mm-mm. daily life. What's right and wrong. It's you choosing to use your virtues properly or improperly. Yes. Correct. In your, in your own life. Yeah. Okay. Essentially. And, and, and the stoic is concerned first and foremost with themselves like it's always, it is always an act of of, of serious introspection, of serious self reflection, um, taking that that um, Socratic mantra to heart of okay. the examined life. Um, but then, 
going a step further in that when you actually doing what Epictetus is doing, he started a school and now he berates students. And so it's, it's, that is the stoic responsibility is call is to call people higher. Um, and I think that the idea then is that eventually what would occur is that you have, you can, I mean, same thing with Plato is that the foundation of any society would be education. Sure. Right. So it's, and so if you want to see, if you want to see your society run in a certain way, if you want to have that, what we would call the guardian class, then you need to you need to educate your children to be that. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of, of institutional reform from the top down to create cultural changes that will then lead to a more virtuous or productive population is is inadequate to the ancients in this tradition. It is it is has everything to do with how you are handling the soul of the person. And I think that's weird to us in our modern conceptions is because we always want to turn to and I've and I've griped about this before in earlier episodes in that we always want to turn to that that political solution. We always want to turn to, well, what can we be doing in the courts? What can we be doing in, in the halls of legislative powers mm-hmm. that be and and to to create the changes that we want to see? In reality, it has a lot more to do with, well, how many books are you reading? You know, what kind of discussions are you having? You know, and whose whose life are you influencing, and is it for the better or for the worse? We can sit around and we can turn around and we complain about how people spend their money or spend their time or what our culture looks like in the here and now and X, Y, and Z. And, and hell, you can even you can even go on Twitter and start lambasting people. You can go on social media and and you can scream and shout and jump up and down all you want, but it won't it doesn't change it it doesn't change a lick. So, really really for for them is that 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 idea of 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 your ethical your ethical obligation yeah is to educate well that's a that's a, a simple kind of straightforward yeah, yeah, pillar straight, compared yeah. to you know trying to unravel the psyche further right. for, for yeah. a moment so well then why don't we move on then the next uh thing i think we need to address is is their concept of freedom yeah uh, that's does that kind of walk between the providence we've already talked about it kind of gets into the providence and it also it actually does have a lot to do with the ethics of it because their ethics is also deeply rooted in that religious framework of like well ethically speaking it is all about aligning your will with god's and mm-hmm. that and that way you can be free and that's like that ultimate end which is weird because like if you're aligning your will with something other than you that doesn't give you choice you are they see freedom coming after choice after you've chosen to align yourself with God not before because I feel like when we think of freedom too often we think of it as just the ability to choose many things yeah I and I always <laughs> yeah like the freedom of, of choice of opportunities of, right. of options I think that's I think that's something that we we definitely identify with today so what is um, this free, like, what do they really mean then when it, when it's not, so it's not freedom of choice. It's you are more free when you choose to, to align yeah, your will with loss, God. It's almost the loss of choice, really. Yeah. So, yeah. so how, what's the classical definition for freedom in that sense, you know? Oh boy. That's <laughs> a, that's a big one. If it's not choice, it's, um, I'm actually just kind of scrolling through this, this, uh, should I say scrolling? I'm flipping. Wow. <laughs> terrible. I'm well, a, I mean, you know, I'm ancient scrolls of a, Epictetus no, were no, scrolling a, through. I'm a bad person. That's all right. Um, yeah, so I'm, I, I guess I'll read uh, a few quotes. Um, here we go. 
I'm just going to go to the meat of it. Yes. Really. Um, well, then I'll become a friend of Caesar. And this is the, um, the section on freedom in book four of Discourses. Well, then I'll become a friend of Caesar. No one will try to take advantage of me as long as I am Caesar's friend. But in the first place, what will I need to suffer or sacrifice in order to get close to him? How much money will I have to spend on how many people? And if I do manage it, well, after all, the emperor is mortal too. Add to which, if by some mischance he becomes my enemy, I suppose I will have no recourse except to flee and take refuge in the wilderness. But what about illness? I can't escape that in the wilderness. So what remains is no travel companion dependable, honest, and above suspicion. By a process of logical elimination, the conclusion emerges that we will only come through safely only by allying ourselves with God. What do you mean allying ourselves? Acting in such a way that whatever God wants, we want to. And by inversion, whatever he does not want, this we do not want either. How can we do this? By paying attention to the pattern of God's purpose and design. Hmm. To start with, then, what has he given me as mine outright? And what has he reserved to himself? He has conferred on me the functions of the will, made them mine, and made them proof against resistance or obstruction. But the body which is made of clay, how could he make that unconstrained? So he assigned it its place in the cosmic cycle, the same as other material things like my furniture, my house, my wife, and my children. (laughs) So don't go up against God by hoping for what is unattainable, namely to keep forever what doesn't really belong to you. Keep them in the spirit they were given for as long as possible. If he gives, he also takes away. So why try and resist him? It would be stupid to oppose one who is stronger than I, but more importantly, it would be wrong. For how did I come by these belongings in the first place? From my father who got them from his, who created the sun, though, the fruits of the earth and the seasons, who engineered mankind's mutual attraction and the social order. When everything you have has been given you, including your very existence, you you proceed to turn on your benefactor and fault him for taking things back. Who are you and how did you get here? It was God brought you into the world, who showed you the light, gave you the people to support you gave you reason and perception, and he brought you into the world as a mortal to pass your time on earth with little endowment of flesh to witness his design and share for a short time in his feast and celebration. So why not enjoy the feast and pageant while it's given you to do so? Then, when he ushers you out, go with thanks and reverence for what you were privileged for a time to see and hear. And he goes on and on about how people want to stay. He's like, what do you have externals for then? And essentially, what it comes down to is that it has everything to do with that you don't that you have a goal that you have a, that there is this, like he said, a cosmic cycle in order to things that things are in their right place. And that true freedom was not found in, in once again, just like being a friend of Caesar's or, or like allying yourself with other things to, to kind of get you along the route. So that way you're like free from suffering or any sort of ailments. And it's like, you can't escape it. It will come to you eventually. There's mm-hmm. no avoiding it. So just take it on the chin. Like, yeah, God has given you such gifts and this is where, this is what you have to use your logic, your reason to ascertain what would be the natural order to things. That is a gift from God. And so you, that's it. What an interesting view of freedom. It's so different than what we think of today. Yeah. I mean, this is actually one, I think his, his treatment of freedom, I wish I could, honestly, I wish I could go on and on because it is it is actually the longest section so most of these sections are like nothing more than a few paragraphs at a time this is pages and pages of um of just how he treats the subject of freedom um and and all of it having to do with with being at liberty to to live as you to live as you ought um freedom is freedom as the definition of freedom at least for the ancients i would say would be more akin to um, the freedom to, uh, you have the freedom to give it away. You have, you have the liberty to live as you should. 
to find your purpose and to and to identify with that and and to and to live in in such a way um, that is virtuous and that is good and that will bring happiness because things are good in and of themselves. Uh, freedom is not used for the abundance of choices um, because it's only by the the eliminating of choices and by the limiting of ourselves that we can then come to the full fruition of who we're meant to be. Because the reality is, is that me as a five, six human being, I will never be a basketball player. And it would be silly for me to continue to attempt to go into the NBA. Mm -hmm. However, technically, I have the metaphysical freedom to do so. But it would be inappropriate for what I've been assigned to in the stoic conception of God Mm as what he has given me. However, I do have an intellect that allows me to run a podcast like this. And so therefore, <laughs> yeah. I would, it, would be, it would behoove me best to limit my freedom and then exercise my liberty in the pursuit of that which is, I have been given. Right. And then instead, we are here. Neither you nor I can be millionaire basketball players. And that is okay. That is our lot in life. However, we can do what we can with, with the time we've been given. Did you just quote Gandalf? Um, but here's, here's what I'm, uh, what I'm seeing here. I found another uh, section that I think summarizes it again quickly. He's talking about slavery. Slavery is the antithesis of, I think that common idea of freedom we were talking about. Not freedom is submission to Zeus, but freedom and choices, right? Slaves can't do what they want always. Though I would imagine it's different then than it was now. Slavery? Well, meaning not now, but like, you know, 18th century American slavery was different than Roman slavery. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. As an institution, yes. Treatment, I'm mm-hmm. not so sure. But he he was a slave as well, Epictetus, right? So he jumps to this argument because he kind of knows it's coming, right? And he speaks into it this way, which I think is really interesting. Also, slavery was so present, you know, was so commonplace in society. Like, that's probably the biggest difference between American slavery and Roman slavery. Is mm-hmm. that American slavery? It was just those darn Southerners. Not really. Well, it was kind <laughs> of like... You know, the wealthy, like when we mm-hmm. get around to the Civil War, it wasn't like all, most of actually most of the people that fought in the Confederate Army were not slave owners. OK, so. cool. So so then or not cool. Very bad. The slave urgently prays to be emancipated. Why do you suppose it's because he can't wait to pay the tax collector the five percent tax? No, it's because he imagines that lacking liberty. He's been thwarted and unhappy all his life up to then. Once I'm free, he says, everything will be roses right away. I won't have to wait on anybody. I can talk to everyone as an equal and appear, travel wherever I want, uh, come and go as I please. So again, setting up that idea of like this, this slave sees freedom as good because freedom is choice, the ability to do whatever he wants. Right. 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 And then, of course, he gives us this, this hypothetical, well, you know, but he doesn't have anywhere to eat. So he looks around with someone to sweet talk and then he resorts to prostitution and then he ends up in this sort of slavery that was worse than the first one. But what, what's the point that he's making? I, I think I'm jumping ahead a few pages. He's saying f- freedom is not this this uh wealth of choices that you can potentially make the ability to to move in whatever direction you want like we you know um we were discussing freedom is this he says lead me zeus lead me destiny to the goal i was long ago assigned to finally be able to say that with meaning is true freedom am i understanding this right yes Mm. no that's i mean that's spot on i love it yeah it's cool but like it's different. It's different. The, I mean, probably even, <clears throat> probably even different, um, 
well, there's some debate about this, but I mean, how are how the framers of the Constitution or what who you know the men that we do know as our founding fathers, how they may have viewed freedom and liberty um, as coming from the the Lockean tradition mm-hmm. um, would still be would still be different than the conception of a freedom that the Greeks, um, hmm. uh, you know, would have presented both of the Stoic tradition and of the Aristotelian tradition, which then finds its full expression um, in the medieval scholastic tradition. Um, and in that you find a very specific kind of freedom, a very different kind of freedom. Um, whereas I think we've been more influenced by by the Enlightenment thought um, where liberty has more to do with, like we were saying, choice. Um, we think of freedom in a political sense um, where they're always seeing freedom as, as, as a metaphysical thing, as something granted by God, uh, mm. of, of having more of a spiritual um, nature and orientation. Um, and, uh, and, and this is probably a topic that we'll continue, we'll, con- we'll constantly revisit because for some reason we can, we, I mean, not everybody, but m- it's kind of been taken for granted that freedom is something that is good. Um, and, and so you kind of see the full expression, I think, of the materialistic notions of freedom, of this idea of choice uh, being broken down into economic uh, economic freedom um, and how one cannot be truly free until they're free from want or from need. Yeah. Um, and and uh, and therefore have limitless choice. And so I think the full expression of that would be how Marx kind of puts it, where uh, once you can, you know, get rid of those economic circumstances that that compel one to like what Epictetus is saying is like, oh, once you have been freed from slavery, now he has all these, you know, he starves himself and finds himself in dire economic circumstances, whereas communism would advocate instead to say that, well, instead of freedom being of a metaphysical sense of more about a perspective of, of your own self, rather, let's take it to mean that we would we would get rid of those circumstances in which one would be desperate. Yeah. And then you are now free to pursue whatever ends that you may desire, what what, what you are truly made for um, in a. Uh, in an economic sense. And so um, hmm. it's, it's, it's completely different. And now we've, we've come, I think we've even come full circle because now we have, we assign justice and freedom to anything. So it's like economic freedom, um, social freedom. We talk about um, environmental freedom or environmental justice. And, and we have now all these separate categories um, when, we are it's just it's a night and day difference hmm. honestly it's it's and i mean it's we find we're running into these issues even when we talk about like when just recently when we were talking about like the very idea of like the soul to the greek like completely different from our understanding like a monist understanding of of what the soul constitutes and 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 um how they treat the the senses and definitional terms that like were taken for granted then um and um they are just completely different now. And so we're speaking two different languages. It's crazy though, because like, you know, obviously I'm not about to jump and, and start, you know, subscribing to the Stoic religion, you know, just outright. But yeah. like, I really do see the value of seeing freedom as not choice because the problem with the modern conception of freedom, in my opinion, is like, it's treated like an end, 
but it cannot be because it, by their definition, if it's just choice, because then you get to that point and you're like, okay, I'm free of my economic burdens. I'm free of my social restraints, you know, stuff. Now what? Now what? You're always left with a now what if freedom by that definition is your end. So well, that's what they would just say. End. Freedom freedom is just a good in and of itself to be obtained would be the argument, would be a libertarian style argument. Okay, but so it's not an end, but it's a good. It's a good. Uh-huh. But then... But then Again, what you would say is like, well, the good, even the good has some sort of tool. Like what, what is, what would be the point of achieving the good? Because even the good to a stoic would be, the good would be like, once you have like obtained that and live that and embody that, it would Mm -hmm. be, it would be happiness. Yeah. That end goal of happiness and peace and really acknowledging who you really are as a spiritual being uh, as 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 being a human being at the at atop the chain of being um and so i definitely understand where you're coming from this this i this like i mean again we haven't gotten into you know political thoughts on freedom and things of right. that nature but where you can you can see this kind of lacking and you know it's it's in that same vein of thought something that i wanted to bring up was that how things are kind of taken for granted when you read this so like when epictetus writes it he kind of he always has that appeal to well you innately know this to be true like go ahead Mm -hmm. and 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 you can see that when you search your own feelings about the matter or when you reflect upon it like you know like he has a lot of he has a lot to say about vocabulary and he says a bit about how it's like we've always used terms of good and bad just or unjust um, vice or virtue um, when talking about things. And he says, we've never bothered to understand the definitions of them because we have known them intrinsically within ourselves, what they are. Huh. And so he says, the problem with philosophy is that is not that necessarily that our de- like the definitions are wrong per se, but he's saying that we never bother to like check ourselves and understanding like philosophy is all about, okay, but when I assign that name to something, like, am I, am I truly, am I truly, doing the good work of logic and of reason to really evaluate a thing and then assign it its proper place and its meaning. And he's right about that. I think that is the work of philosophy. But the thing is, is that my point is that we don't, we don't do that anymore of like, well, you know, hey, you like you intrinsically know this to be fact or, you know, we just happen to know it by Hmm. this concept of natural law or the very idea that there is contained within something in you that has this knowledge, something right. from God. Or is from it because it needs to be empirically proven? And yeah, I think, I think like empiricism that. has something to do with that. The, the inclusion of the scientific method has now has, has continued to expand and everything falls under now the, the wide branch of the sciences. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I've talked a lot about um, is that, uh, you know, when I, when I have conversations with Rachel, for example, and Rachel will talk about how, you know, and she, so she's currently studying for her, her PsyD in clinical, you know, PsyDuck. Yeah. Best Pokemon. So, <laughs> and, um, and she talks a lot about how, you know, psychology has become, has become just one branch of what would constitute the sciences and then even further has now is a part of the like is a is a leaf on the branch of medical science (laughs) when in reality what it once was was that it was once part of the field of philosophy and talking about what is it you know talking about 
your interior perspective, your psyche, like like everything that we've talked about. These past two thinkers, we've talked about psychology, right? We talked oh, yeah. about psychology, the mind. And the, the use of the word psyche always meant about soul and the intellectual faculties. And that was a very philosophical thing. It had very much to do with choice and ethical value and, and your freedom, uh, the freedom of the will and the freedom of choice. And, and I think with the expansion of our reliance on science, I don't know what it is, maybe a religion of science, some may argue, the expansion of empiricism, the the divorcing of, and even David Hume. I think David Hume had was such a wrecking ball um, <laughs> to philosophy. Not, I don't mean it in a negative sense. I'm just saying he was a titanic figure in the idea that, you know, just introducing just. I mean, Descartes really introduced doubt, you know, into the scenario. But Hume right. goes so so far to say that like you can't really know, really anything. Like you doubt everything, mm-hmm. and he takes that to that nth degree. And I think because of that, whenever somebody says, well, I just know it, it's always found we in our own modern consumption is like that's insufficient. It's not intellectual. It's not enough to prove. Well, then then what do you do with um, like the Declaration of Independence? We hold, we hold these, these truths, truths to be self-evident. Self, right. Right. So we can't say that anymore. Well, like think, it's not self-evident well, according to this outlook. Well, or you end, up, you end up with thinkers like Richard Rorty who say that democracy is really the only legitimate kind of way that we may organize ourselves because everything is so reliant on just accepted vocabulary you know and and i think nietzsche and i think nietzsche also has a point in this where it has it has a lot to do with strength and what you want to will into existence um and i think and i think that you know people could just say and people have said for thousands of years it's not a novel idea but it's just a present idea that it really it's all just vocabulary it's accepted vocabulary mm-hmm. it's things that we decide to give value and meaning to because we choose it to be such and and in a democracy we are able to um have that debate and then we collectively can just decide that and so yes we hold these truths to be self-evident but self-evident, not really. We just we just hold these truths. Really, you can mm-hmm. just cut that part out. Um, it's not self-evident. We just have voted them to be true, and that is what we accept, and that's how it's going to go from now here on out. But of course, that's not what the framers themselves they truly. I don't think so. No, because well, again, oh, there's a lot of them. A lot. Well, there's a lot of framers, <laughs> and there's a lot of debate, right? So, like, mm-hmm. you know, when we think about the framers, we think of a group of like five to six guys, right? We think of like, we think of just. You know, uh, Jefferson, Hamilton, Washington, uh, Madison, Franklin, you know, Franklin, John Jay, you know, um, so but there were many mm-hmm. of them. And to an extent, you know, we don't even constitute other people who are writing at the time, state leaders and other historical figures that have passed out of our memory. And I think and I think it's complicated because whenever anybody either on the right or the left of the political spectrum has that debate. What ends up inevitably happening is that you have one side that's like, well, the founding fathers were deeply influenced by religion, and so therefore they did hold these truths to be self-evident because they were appealing to, like, um, a deeply ancient religious tradition dating all the way back to you know the early Christian founders and, and and Roman philosophy, and that was what they were pulling from. And of course, it can't be denied that the founding fathers did see a lot of semblance between them and that of the Roman Republic. Right, that's not debatable. But then you have another side that's like, well, it was all about their own economic values and, and what they wanted to preserve for themselves. And and really, it's more rooted in enlightenment philosophy. And you go back and forth, back and hmm. forth. And I think that in in either case, 
they did believe that there were truths that were self-evident that we could know. Yeah. But we are in a place now that things are not, they're not so self-evident. The only thing that really is self-evident to us is that, is that if you have like a PhD next to your name and you apply the scientific method, like if you're a scientist, you're somebody to be believed, you know? And I, huh. I, I just find it really funny because when we have, whenever you have debates on philosophy or things like that, people may not listen to us because we're just, you know, two kids with some like ramshackle microphones, like <laughs> doing this thing, yeah. you know, just, just like flying through it and just trying our best. Right. And I think there's some genuineness to that. And I think, you know, I'd like to think that we're trying our hardest, but, and we may even constitute ourselves as philosophers, people who are in the pursuit of wisdom and in the business of philosophy. But for some reason, we don't, you know, a philosopher now, like doing philosophy now, we're like, no, 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 I'm going to watch the neuro, I'm going to watch the, like the neurologist. Right. Or the it's, biologist. It's, it's or, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or like, I want, I want to hear this astronomer talk to me about what my place in the universe is because they're the scientists, they know. And I'm like... Well, guess what, kids? Like everybody approaches their own field. Like philosophy permeates every field, mm-hmm. and you are going to approach any issue with your own, per, like your own preconceptions and your own bias. Like, like one of the big things right now that I study is the philosophy of the mind, and whether the intellect and the consciousness and the idea of qualia, if it's immaterial or material, a corporeal substance or incorporeal, and this huge debate that goes on between uh, between different people, um, dating all the way back to Aristotle. And it's interesting to me how like like talking about the subject and you see so many so many of these these researchers who try to uh, create this research to kind of prove a point. Right. But the research is ginned up in such a way as to as to justify their own preconceived bias. And and Genius. and it still doesn't. And when and when people are being honest and objectively analyzing the data, they're like, oh, well, this doesn't really necessarily pan out to exactly what they're trying to prove here. And all that to say is that. You know, we're kind of on a tangent now, but all that to say is that, you know, you're going to you're always going to approach it in that from your own lens. And to say that, you know, philosophy is now something that, you know, it's more of a science. Well, it's not. It actually is above all subjects. It is something that is, I think, is the umbrella by which everything else falls under um, because it's how we think. So, Um, yeah. Whereas like the so the Ph.D., is the the chief academic um you know license sure. that supersedes all and that's a philosophy degree right exactly so that, that, show, that, that reveals but yeah. truly if things were to um to be as they really are it should actually be you know if, if the academy i don't know if it was honester or if or if if the academy started today it would actually be a doctorate in science would probably be the the chief that now informs music studies and religious studies and political studies. It would, it, it has a scientific bend, even though, you, you know, like, do you kind of see what I'm saying? Yes, because we can only know what is observable, even though there are philosophers that are out there that say that you can't even know that. But for some reason, we can't, we're not going to let that go. Like te- right. technology and, mm-hmm. and, the, and the applied sciences are, are, are the real tangible things to us. And it's not to say that, like, obviously, Plato had his his affinity with math. You know, it's not like sciences were like they were not like ignoring like Aristotle was a scientist. 
like coming up with genus and species for all and all number of categories for things. He was an applied scientist. There's no doubt about it. However, all of those things always demonstrated for them things that were self-evident, eternal, uh, grounded truths that one could know through their reason. But when you start to doubt those faculties and you start to say that, no, those things can't really be demonstrated and all you can really know is that you know, A squared plus B squared equals C squared, and that's just it. There's nothing else beyond that. Then, <sighs> then I see. I see the schism. So when you see the we're we're kind of split down the middle, and yeah. we're kind of having two different conversations. And those who kind of those individuals that are out there that do exist that still hold to an ancient or medieval tradition are are kind of always with one hand tied behind the back because they're not. Uh, it's it's having to translate a language over. Well, yeah, and that's why some of these debates that I've seen between like theists and atheists, you know, sure. are, are are just stupid because one <laughs> is shouting, you know, there's more than just what you can observe, and the other one's like, no, there's not, and that's essentially what every debate boils down to. Yep. Or you see the theist trying to conform these arguments to, well, there is. Uh, evidence and you, you know and it's like but but you know i mean epictetus wasn't playing that game he no. wasn't you know and so you're right it's no. it's really weird and um i don't know we're, we're a little far from the book but this is all uh, interesting i mean this makes me kind of want to do investigate like dostoevsky next and what he said about doubt you know because sure. he wrote that letter i am a child of uh you know an age of doubt there's no denying that and you know, uh, what his theism looked like because of that. Uh, it's an interesting hinge figure. Dostoevsky was concerned about railroad networks and the telegraph. You know what I mean? And it's like how, how much of a far cry. And I'm not, I'm not trying to sound like some sort of like doom and gloom complaining. No, no, this know. is just observation. Just, it's just observation. I, so it, but, we, we have yet to see where this will truly but then lead I can us. Also, but I can equally say that I could be like, oh, well, these arguments were accepted. This language was accepted in their time. And we're talking also about a deeply spiritual and maybe superstitious time, too. And, sure, but sure. Then, and, and then equally turn around and say, well, is that really good philosophy on the part of Epictetus for him to go and say, well, we like these these notions we need to we do need to explore and define them. He does grant that. But like, yeah, we already know them. And I'm like, is that is that really good philosophy? And there's a part of me that's like because of the way that we've been raised. And I'm mm -hmm. like, no, it's really not. It's not good philosophy for him to just like claim but natural law and then move on. That is like transplanting our bias uh, and understanding yeah. of philosophy right. onto him. Right, because, because people are gonna like, listen to this and be like, okay, like everything you've explained about primordial fire and destiny and, and fate and freedom and God and all these kinds of things is all deeply grounded in, in the spiritual conception and mm -hmm. in, a, in, a, in, the, in their idea of the cosmos of physics. But then one could just say, but there isn't a God. And I'm like, well, there you go. There goes stoicism <laughs> out the window. And this is why I said in, in the episode that we didn't publish that my, my big issue with stoicism has always has been and always will be is that it cannot contend. I don't think. And with when, Nietzsche. Well, with Nietzsche. Well, Nietzsche's like, he's, he, Nietzsche, we'll cover Nietzsche eventually. That yeah. guy punches down. Like it's, you can't, like, he's mm -hmm. a tough cookie. Like he will, like anything that you bring up to him, he's just like just punches down on it crazy but the thing is is that it can't contend with with i think every single philosophy that you adjudicate in our in our day and age right now has to go up against nihilism you have to you have to account for nihilism and the idea of the void and meaninglessness you have to because i because even though it's not fair to epictetus on a historical yeah. level because he you know he didn't have it <laughs> he didn't have to deal with it right right but like 
the way we live now with the technology and the invention of nuclear weapons and and an age of terrorism and an age of genocide, you know, and in two world wars, it, so much has happened. And I think that when you're going to adopt something like what you were saying before, in, in a narrow scale, maybe. But the thing is, is that when you take when you take the whole philosophy of stoicism, it has to contend. In my mind, it has to contend with nihilism. It has to go toe to toe with it, and it. I find that it comes up lacking yeah. because it makes, at least philosophically in our modern times, it just comes up with a number of assumptions that are nice, and then they may they may speak to us, which may be an argument in and of itself. If stoicism speaks to you, there may be a part of that self evidentiary. Sure. Yeah, like part of it that comes into play, but mm-hmm. I still don't. It it does not contend with just with nihilism, and I think we're we're just. I think honestly, we're predisposed to nihilism. So well, yes, it, there's no doubt about that in this in this day and age. Um, and, but but there are people who say th- there was an essay that I read. Yeah, and this could be a little tantalizing special episode thing we can do, but where nihilism and stoicism are compatible things because. The idea of Stoicism being a free will, life-affirming kind of philosophy, so face the void, kind of like a Camus, Smith a Sisyphus figure. Where a little you, synthesis Right, there. where it's okay. like, it's your fate, you know, continue to, you know, continue to live in such a way that is virtuous to you, however, it in the end, it's meaningless kind of thing. So, like, like Sartre, it's a Sartre-Camus kind of composition um, mm-hmm. with Stoicism. So, but that's neither here nor there. I, I think it just doesn't... Um, I love that stoicism has been revived in our time, but I also think it kind of it kind of ends up being self-contradictory um, with a lot of people adopting it and not really going wholesale with it, you know, because people yeah. if people actually sat down they 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 watch these videos on YouTube and they go, "Oh, I like stoicism, Marcus Aurelius. I wake up like Marcus Aurelius every single day. Look at what it's did for me." And they're wearing a fancy suit or whatever that they rented that day with their mom's credit card. And I'm like, "Okay, but you've never have, have you sat down and read like and seen that he's telling you that if your kids die, don't cry? Like, yeah, yeah. Or if the emperor asks for your neck, like, then give then it up. Like, okay, yeah, ex- exactly. It, yeah, this, nobody. The, that's what I do, I do appreciate about Epictetus, Epictetus, whatever, is that he does take it to its logical conclusions, and not a lot of people do, right. you know, uh, with any philosophy. Uh, but he's like, yes, I believe this, therefore. All of the following, I accept. It's kind of bold, and I, I appreciate that, yeah. um, that he's not hiding it. Truly, but. it is, mm-hmm. you control what you control, this little, yeah. it's a very little blade of grass, and that is, and you love it. That's it. Right. Everything else is, is and to hey, win. Like, I mean, that that is enough to, again, again I'm going to keep playing the practical side of things as we're coming up on a conclusion anyway, it seems, but like, the practically speaking, he's absolutely right. There is very little in your control Sure. You know, even if you ran a really big business, consider all time and space. That's not a lot <laughs> that right. you control. Um, and so uh, just do that and do that well. Um, and, and of course, adherence to the virtues. I love that, too. So this has been beneficial to me for that uh, reason. But, yeah, I am not about to maybe adopt huh. Numa and, you, you know, the, the whole uh, uh, array of, of philosophy behind it. Though I also do like his points on freedom. I think that there's some real real value in reframing it. Just honestly, just knowing there's another way to understand freedom, mm. that it's not just what my, my particular time and place have given me. <laughs> there are other definitions. That's always really beneficial, even if you don't agree with them in the end. Well, I'm, I'm still waiting to have the privilege of, a, of finding a book I agree with. So, <laughs> I mean... I'm just not not wholly convinced. Well, I got a few for you. 
Oh. The one that I'm writing. <laughs> the, the children's you're, fantasy book that you're, you're writing. You're going to hate agree it. With. You're going to be like, yeah, this isn't systematic enough for me. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, okay, so we did, we did ethics. We did freedom. We did, um, you know, how it contends with... Uh, you know nihilism and empiricism and uh in the modern age and uh, i mean i'm i'm pretty holistic approach i really you know honestly we like this book it it repeats itself yes a lot <laughs> i mean i encourage i encourage people to chip away at it you know have it on your bookshelf pull it out every now and then read, yes. a, read a passage or two from it get get what you can out of it um i think that if you want a real good deep treatment of of stoicism as a as a uh just looking at the the logical deductions of stoicism, the the more like we get into it here, um, for sure. Um, but there's also like if you want to read it for yourself, Chrysippus is your guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Clanthes as well is, is your guy. Um, but again, like they're fragmented works, but you can read them, and I think there's a lot more there. Epictetus is definitely good if you want the um, words of wisdom, the moral maxims, the the uh, the uh, nice passages to read when you wake up in the morning to kind of I don't know orient your orient your soul yeah if you have one <laughs> um, towards whatever it is or you know the collection of randomized atoms that you are and chemical biological reactions and you guess well then really there's no point in you reading it is there <laughs> <laughs> so it's been a pleasure uh, we're happy to be back and uh, stay tuned for our next, next book, book which we will not reveal no. here yet no it's a surprise yeah but new we book, promise new song new graphics it's gonna be great we'll do our best to not let you down and i'm picking it so yeah so it'll be better i guess apparently (laughs) all right all righty love you guys glad to be back um continue to share us around um follow us wherever we find ourselves online and feel free to send us an email if you have any more questions um and we will be back with a new book indeed